transactional businesses, pe people that sell stuff and not things. Sorted out probably 20 years ago during the advent and the rollout of the internet that they couldn't just compete on price and product um, because those things are so easily, uh, they, they could just be swamped by the bigger and better guy. And so they started to sort out, well, okay, if we can't necessarily be the cheapest and we can't necessarily even offer the best, which maybe you can, but what we need to do is offer something special. So they started thinking about the experience of the end user. Welcome to You Are Buzzworthy. When we think about what makes or breaks a company, most immediately start shouting sales and culture and vision and other buzzwords. And while all of these aspects are truly part of the vision, the one I don't hear enough of is client experience. And in the service-based business, the client experience is the product. We're providing this product called client experience. Yes, we solve problems and deliver results. That, that's all part of the overall experience. And that experience is what weighs the heaviest in our ability to retain clients. And client retention is a key component of sustainable growth. So if it's so important, why isn't it the top of the list of things to focus on in our business? Well, today I'm going to dive into this very important aspect of running a profitable business. And to help me is a very smart gentleman by the name of H.B. Paisley, who has a customized growth framework that helps businesses who serve people deliver what he calls the ideal client experience. Let's join the conversation. Welcome to the show, H.B. Jazz hands. Jazz hands. I love jazz hands. Did you know that I actually used jazz hands once in a softball game? I was on third base and the ball had the the first baseman had the ball and I was I was playing like I was going to go to home plate. And so as I was coming around the the, the base right there, he kind of was trying to figure out what I was going to do. And so I just stopped and I went like jazz hands <laughs> and the dude just froze and I just ran for home and made it. <laughs> great, great sock out. This is really great. Thanks so much for having me on the Buzzworthy podcast. I think this is great fun. You've been a, a great new friend and a great new, uh, like, um, a wisdom, I say wisdom broker a lot. You're so good at strategy and thoughtful. We've had really good brain sessions so far. So this is a great kind of an extension of our relational journey. Thank you. Definitely. No, I mean, that's why I wanted you on the show. I mean, my my audience expects me to bring a lot of smart people so that, you know, I don't just wander around here and yeah, <laughs> that's about what I feel like too. The, uh, but you know, I feel it. the wisdom is such a good word though, because it is, doesn't, really allude to being smart, whether it be street smart or book smart or anything. It's just that you have had the experience of failing a lot, which <laughs> is where we get our wisdom. So, uh, you know, you're long, long around enough and you take chances enough, you become wise. And that's, that's, so I always tell people, I was like, there is no such thing as failure, just learning opportunities, right? Well said. All well right. Said. So today though, we have, I want to make sure that we get into uh, our topic today, which is client experience. And um, as I said in the intro, you know, so many people focus on so many things in their business, which are all important, 
But in service-based businesses and professional services, financial services, whatever it be, people serving people, it seems that client experience is the one that, that is at the end of the priority list. And, mm. and I wanted to pick your brain because this is kind of your business. Why do you think it is such a low priority for so many service-centric businesses? It's a great question. And you made it specific to the service industry. Transactional businesses, pe people that sell stuff and not things, sorted out probably 20 years ago during the advent and the rollout of the internet that they couldn't just compete on price and product um, because those things are so easily, uh, they, they could just be swamped by the bigger and better guy. Mm -hmm. And so they started to sort out, well, okay, if we can't necessarily be the cheapest and we can't necessarily even offer the best, which maybe you can, but what we need to do is offer something special. So they started thinking about the experience of the end user, whether it's somebody clicking on an internet site for five seconds or somebody lingering in some shopping experience, they tried to make their experience online super important. And I think that brought a wave of new thoughtfulness. Your question to the point, I don't honestly, <laughs> but I don't know why professionals whose entire job is to create answers for clients with problems haven't made it a number one priority to make sure that everything that they do is always about them and not about me. Mm -hmm. I would think that would be the bumper sticker on every service professional's car. It's always about them. It's never about me. But maybe I would, I'll, I'll guess this way. Maybe it's because nerds, mm -hmm, wisdom brokers <laughs> and nerds, super geniuses tend to be more comfortable talking about their strengths than they are necessarily talking about what your problem is that you're solving. And I think people just generally want to rest on their expertise. And that's why client experience has remained uh, in the back room. Maybe. So, so I almost feel like you could also think of it as um, not maybe not necessarily that they're resting on the laurels of their ability, but that the, they feel that they don't maybe touch into how the client is feeling about it, right? Like they don't make the connection that the, that the client doesn't know what's going on in the background, right? <laughs> they no. don't. Like you're sitting there as a provider, you're like, you know, somebody says, right, man, you don't pay a lot of attention to me. What are you talking about? We talk about you every day, just not to you. <laughs> <laughs> this is a fantastic client experience gap. It's kind of like having a relationship with your spouse, you know, and then you get into that situation where, you know, I love you, right? Of course I love you. Do I need to say it? Well, yeah, actually, you need to say it. Matter of fact, you need to create a dozen different ways to say it every day, sometimes using words. Right. And our clients exactly. have to start feeling that not only is our, are we doing things for them and in the back room doing nerd stuff, you know, on a regular right. basis. We got to figure out a way to let them know uh, in a dozen different ways that we're thinking about them, their top priority, they're important to us uh, because they are basing their entire relationship on how they feel about the situation. Actually, not just on the outcome of the nerd machine that you tweaked in order to create an output. You know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They're, they're sort of processing just like any other relationship would that takes so much time, Buzz. Yeah. You know, that's what, isn't that what separates us? I'm, I'd love to hear you uh, speak to this. It's like some people have clients that last for 10 seconds. Some people mm -hmm. have clients that last for 10 days, but some people develop clients that they want to nurture for a lifetime. Mm -hmm. That is a different animal, don't you think? I think that it still takes, I, I, oh, so for first impressions, that 10 seconds is just as much work 
for the, the 10 second relationship versus the 10 year lifetime. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, to maintain a 10, say let's, let's, let's fast take 10, uh, a 10 minute, we'll call it 10 minutes for 10 seconds, 10 mm-hmm. minute conversation versus a 10 month conversation. Yeah. There's an ongoing effort that goes with that, mm-hmm. but the, t- the energy it takes to maintain a 10 month versus a 10 year relationship, I think is the same exact in the first 90 days. You have to treat somebody just as much. You, you have to pay attention to somebody just as much for a, for a one year agreement versus your lifetime achievement. That's right? because onboarding is like a romance, right? It but- really sets the stage. And the funny thing is, is that it's just like, it's just like children, right? Like you have to coddle an infant pretty much nonstop, right? Unless it's, it's sleeping. That's the only time you get to leave it alone. If it's awake, you must be there to take care of it. But as it matures, it needs less and less of you, but knows that you're always there. We and would like it to do be that, that with your clients. Yeah. Yeah. We would like it to be with that way. But you introduced actually a great point when people first start investigating client experience. Most find it's that strange, slow space after the first romance and the big delivery. Uh-huh. And then we're trying to maintain our relationship with these clients because we're going to need to revisit or reschedule or review mm-hmm. that there's this lull. And all of a sudden the client's like, wait, I thought we were love. <laughs> we were in love. <laughs> lovers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> What's our relationship now? Uh, uh, I paid you money. <laughs> Don't you love me? <laughs> yeah. Where's the love now? You don't send me love letters anymore. <laughs> not, not to create. What do you mean? I give you, I give you your once a month newsletter. Give me, give me a break. Yeah, isn't that enough? <laughs> isn't that enough? That's that. By the way, that's that's a whole topic of conversation. What's a balanced approach to that? What is non-burdensome? What's appropriate? Because relationships do change over time, and the initial season is romantic, and it requires more frequency. Um, mm-hmm. But there must be a way to properly meet clients after that that isn't un, unusually burdensome for those of us who are serving them as service professionals. Right. Right. I love it. And now you created a framework that helps us with that tempo, right? Yes. <laughs> what do you call it? I call it, that's, that's a good tee up, man. I'm going to hit this ball out of the park. Okay. Cause I, <laughs> I know the name of it. It's called, it's called ideal client experience. And that's the name of my practice and my business. There you go. See, I hit it. It's a. Uh, it's kind of got. A, I think I feel like it gave you the least amount of a margin of error there. <laughs> this is a great interview. This is my favorite one. Uh, there's two things going on here. There's ideal client. Mm-hmm. I work with my clients are all advisory professionals. That is, they sell wisdom and not stuff. Mm-hmm. That requires trust building, and generally speaking, the client arc and relationship is much longer than the shorter. Just like we were talking about. So uh, pursuing an ideal client is my, our first step together because it helps us understand what is your mission. Buzz has a mission. Mm-hmm. HB has a mission. How clearly can you inter- articulate it? Is it inspiring? Does your team know it? Are people aware of it? This is really fun. Uh, many people in branding and marketing love it that I help clients in this because then they can actually hire marketing experts like yourself mm-hmm. to actually <laughs> do some mileage, right? You're going to make some progress. The second thing that we tack onto that is <clears throat> then is how are we creating the best experience for our ideal clients? Mm. Um, 
I realized as I was working as a development officer inside of a financial advisory firm where I first began to see this in action, that um, most advisory firms grow on the back of referrals. Referrals come naturally when people feel excited about your service. Mm -hmm. And that word feel is important. Mm-hmm. because the difference between giving great service and the client feeling that it was great service are two totally different worlds. They're miles apart. Right. And I began to investigate that and I realized, okay, what we're really asking of this nerd team is to not think about client experience through this lens of only the empathetic member of our team can do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Only the person on our team is good at throwing parties. She's mm-hmm. really good at talking to new people or he's the guy who can make every, instead of thinking that way, Mm-hmm. I thought, wouldn't it be great if all 10 members or 20 members of this advisory firm felt like they had a role to play in creating a great experience for the client? And then I thought, well, OK, this is just like playing a, a sport or a game. All I need to do is create a playbook mm-hmm. so that people can see what are the steps in a client journey. So you get into client journey mapping. If you go to the Internet, and search customer journey or client journey mapping, you'll see all kinds of stuff about this. I put uh, an eight-step client journey together that I think uh, anybody in an advisory profession could see it. They'll understand it. You already know it. And then what I did was simply break down how do we get into the client's shoes and practice empathy and empathy in action through each of the eight steps. And I figured that helps anybody who's trying to get their head around this that doesn't feel like they're an empathetic genius. (laughs) (laughs) You can read this book. It's called uh, Never Drop the Ball Again. Mm, uh, how book. the ideal client experience actually is going to save your business as an advisory professional. Mm-hmm. See that I, I use the sports metaphor, put them together. There you go. I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> so it's always better not to point it out later on. It's like explaining the joke. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we have too much fun here. So the, the, I, so I read the book, love the book. Uh, the fundamentals are there. I think that you're right. Like p- the business owners know this stuff, mm-hmm. but it's the, it's the implementation that, that gets messy. Correct. Right. Because we already think we do a good job and it really does take that third person, right. That to come into an organization and really show what the reality is from outside of the bag. Right. Um, we always, we always, uh, uh, the last time I talked to um, one of my clients who was an actual marketing firm and they're like, well, well, how are you a marketing firm for another marketing firm? Because as a marketing firm, they see themselves in one light, but be from inside, it's very hard to see how other people see them from the outside, which is the most yeah. important piece in their marketing, right? Just like you're saying, it doesn't matter how good of a com- uh, client services you give. It's, how your client services make somebody feel. And sometimes I see people doing so much more than they actually have to, right? Mm -hmm. It's not to Mm -hmm. say to do the minimum, but Mm -hmm. there is a point of diminishing returns in that some of the things you do, your clients don't care about. And the ones, a couple of things you do need to do, you don't do, and they don't need a lot of energy. (laughs) And so this is where we get to that place where we say, Hey, business owner, if you're interested in upgrading your client experience, what's the one thing you should do to start? Right? Sure. So uh, I think this is that exact point because (laughs) guess what, business owner? 
your clients already know the answers. They know exactly how you should improve your client experience. And honestly, this is going to sound crazy because it sounds like I'm working myself out of a job. You do not need to hire me first to help you with your client experience. It's a waste of your time and money. What you should do first is begin to use some very simple, no more than three question surveys, whether you do them in person or on the Internet or in an email or on paper or a combination of all of the above and simply ask some questions to let your clients tell you how you can improve. I'll give you a couple of examples of the questions so that you're not even guessing about what to do. Boom. Take out your pen. Write them down. Ready? Here's a, a quick, quick three. Number one. In what way could our firm improve to get five-star ratings in your mind and in your experience? So how do we improve to a five-star rating? That's a great one. I love these rating questions. People are used to them, whether they're at a food place or a hotel, they'll <laughs> write something up. Right. Uh, number two might be, uh, what was uh, your most memorable moment in our time and work together over this last year? Why? Because you want to know what people celebrate, right? Mm -hmm. A third question might be, if you were going to describe our services to a friend, what words would you use to describe what we have helped you with the most? That's also a very positive question. Why? Because we don't always have the right language to describe what we're giving to the world. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it'll make us a ton smarter if we let our clients tell us what that is. Now, 100%. Yeah, we could go on and we could create some more questions in there, but we want people to say, maybe we could throw in a fourth one just as a bonus here, Buzz, I hope you don't mind. You can edit this tighter and make me seem smarter later, okay? Uh, you know, what one thing could uh, anyone on our team have improved this last year to make your experience with us just a little bit better? When you ask questions like that, it doesn't sound like you're asking people to criticize anyone or go into, you know, pitching a fit, just one thing to improve, make it a little bit better. I think people feel like then they need you. They feel needed, I should say, and they're willing to help you if they love you. And it's funny, our clients actually love us for what we do for them. And if we act a little bit needy in our surveys, we don't know what we're doing. Help us. It actually is kind of a welcome, welcome sound. So anyway, I hope I didn't talk too much or put too much. No, in no I think that's good. And, you know, it's interesting because you use the uh, premise of a year. Right. Mm -hmm. And I almost feel like you could do that in the first month. Yeah. And right then the, or the next 90 days. How about just tomorrow? Like today, write it today, have somebody proof it and start implementing it tomorrow. Test it on your top 10 clients and just see how, what kind of feedback you get. Right. Because I think that it's it's easy for it's uh, it's easy to forget what's happened over the last year. It's kind of like when you do when you think about I, I like to think about it as though you are basically getting an employee review from your clients, right? You're there the you employee, go. right? When, we go, when we're in service-based business, people are like, how do you like owning your own business? Like being your own boss, right? I was like, what are you talking about? I got 300 bosses. They're like, what? I said, every one of my clients is a different boss and they can fire me at any given time, right? <laughs> this is so yeah. it goes, This right? is true. This is yeah. true. And so when I look at it that in that way, it's like, I hated one-year reviews as an employee because all my boss ever remembered was whatever happened in the last 90 days. Correct. So, you know, when we look at it, we're like, we like to do everything in 90 day sprints because the human condition um, creates uh, uh, habits in 90 days. Mm -hmm. We lose habits in 90 days mm -hmm. and we forget things past 90 days. 
So coming back and regrouping, we have what we call the 90 day world, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and we, and technically it's a sprint, right? So we're, everything's done in 90 days that we needs to be done in 90 days. Now we have one year goals. We might have three year goals, but the client needs to understand what has to happen in the next 90 days first so yeah. that we don't lose traction towards that. Right. And I love, I love that breaking it down into sizes, stuff that you can actually chew and swallow mm-hmm. and digest in that season. Mm-hmm. I bet there's yeah. tiny little hints of that in this book. Has anybody seen this book before? <laughs> For those who are listening, he's holding up a copy of my book, The Rule of 26. <laughs> <laughs> Which I love. You are a great showman, and I really appreciate you having you on the show. I would love to give you the next 90 seconds mm. to depart to depart upon the, or impart upon, I can talk today, impart upon the audience. The one thing that they must not forget, the one thing they need to remember when approaching the ideal client experience. What a great tee up. And in all thoughtfulness, because I spent the morning Considering the same question, I spoke in front of a financial planning association meeting this morning on the same topic. Um, I actually believe that every human being was created for a very unique purpose. And that purpose always has to do with love, caring for others. So when I think about making an impact or changing the world buzz, I don't mean starting an internet site where you pitch ideas to strangers. (laughs) I mean... How are you interpersonally caring for others, helping them succeed, putting others in front of yourself? And that all boils down to a sense of mission. I want to know from every business owner I serve, are you clear on your eternal mission? And that wasn't supposed to sound churchy. What I'm saying is, do you have a sense of mission and place in this world and purpose that actually transcends your present job? Like if you change careers in 10 or 20 years, would you still be on mission? Is the stuff you're doing with your life potentially going to create multi-generational impact? Well, that's kind of an eternal mission, right? Your impact would last beyond your life. I think every financial advisor ought to pause for a moment or two and ask themselves a few questions that are in this category. A, how would you like people to speak about you at your funeral? What would you like the toasts to be about? That's a little different than the epitaph. Uh, question, right? How would you like people to speak about you? What would you like to be famous for? So if Buzz ever invites you on his podcast, what do you want Buzz to pull out of you so that you can talk about your favorite thing? What is that thing? I think when people discover their sense of internal mission, it connects to their business mission. And all of a sudden they have a kind of internal um, pressure and forward motion that's going to get them through those hard days. Because in the advisory profession, not every day is going to be good. Not every team leadership day is going to be successful. And I think we need that strong internal sense of, and I'll say it again, eternal purpose to build in us a sense that we're on a benevolent mission and all these people we're serving, they're worthy of love and attention, and they're worthy of the effort that we're putting in. What would you like to be famous for? What is your personal mission and how does that mission drive your professional mission? HB really gave us a lot to think about in the interview and I think it will be worth a second listen to catch all of the nuances of what was shared. 
HB also shares a lot on his website. That's idealclientexperience.com. And when you're ready to implement the ideal experience to your marketing, be sure to visit my website, buzzworthy.biz. We would love to help you attract those who would be best served the way you prefer to serve. And on that note, I bid you do. Until next time, stay buzzworthy.